You're listening to the Racking Focus Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Racking Focus Podcast. I'm Josiah Blizzard. And I'm John Doyle, and today is a mashup episode. Uh, yeah. Once we uh, get through our opening, we're going to talk about a, a series of different movies, sort of give you an overview of some things that we've seen over the past, I don't know, four to six weeks. Yeah. What, what's on our list, Josiah? Well, you know, we... We've mentioned, I think, almost all of these films in our What If You've Been Watching, or, or what did we call it last week, The Weekly Watch. The Weekly Watch. Uh, we mentioned all of these. We're talking about Free Guy. We're talking about The King's Man. And we're talking about a third movie. The French Dispatch. The French Dispatch, yes. Right. Um, all films we've watched separately. We didn't right. watch any of these together. Uh, so that, that'll be fun to kind of hear your thoughts on it, considering no, most. I feel like most of the movies we watch i end up watching with you no it's the truth so this will be fun and um but before we get to that maybe we just dive into uh you know the weekly watch real quick because there's been some other stuff that i've been watching and experiencing that i'd you know love to share and then yeah. i'm sure i'd love to hear what you've been watching. so well, let's let's start we'll go back yeah. and forth so yeah, what's one great. thing you've been watching um i'm still in the middle of euphoria but i've watched right. two of the there's this these two bridge episodes uh, between season one and season two, which was really nice. I kind of wish that more, wish that more TV series did this, like just quick little snippet into like what's been happening in between seasons. Because I think there was a there was a, a solid amount of time between these seasons, and uh, so it was nice for them to give the the fans, the audience, the viewers, kind of just an inside look as to what these characters right. have been doing. And they were just each like an hour long, but they were great because they were just like bottle episodes i mean one was like completely in a diner okay and it was amazing watching coleman domingo and zendaya just talk for an hour like it was com it sounds so boring to hear two people just talking it, in a diner for an hour uh, uh, yeah i don't think but it sounds boring they sounds... both well i feel like to most people <laughs> i told steph about it she's like that sounds so boring <laughs> it's like it was so compelling to watch um and then the other one was in a therapist's office and it kind of went back and forth between some visions to uh visions and then the, the therapist's office but the visual storytelling in the show just continues to blow me away so uh i just started season two of euphoria and i'm loving every second of and so those, those episodes were like single location pretty much single location the therapist's office was it was it was primarily in there but then it would cut to like very easy locations to shoot in like a house like a bedroom okay. in a house or something like that things like that so uh very cool very very good show highly recommend what about you? What have you been watching? Uh, well, I guess I'll um, I'll start with the uh, Japanese material I've been diving into. I'm still Great, yeah. digging through uh, We're All Dead, uh, the uh, Korean, actually. This is a Korean. That's uh, Korean, okay. Uh, zombie piece. It gets better and better. It's really rock solid. Uh, I don't know if it's for everyone, mm -hmm. to be honest, but I, it's it really is so well-crafted. The thing that the sort of Korean cinema and uh, storytelling, I guess maybe storytelling seems to be able to do, is grapple with uh, humor and pathos and suspense yeah. and really put you in a position where there's lots of characters who you are engaged with even though they may not be people who you are rooting for. Right. Like that, the, that to me is really interesting. Mm. But there's all of these challenges in the film about economics and about like social status and 
status in high school it's interesting yeah. like the parallel to euphoria yeah and this idea of like young people and how they're dealing with the world uh, and i think what we're going to see as i move forward I'm, I'm, i have like three episodes left to go and some captivatingly wonderful small scenes now that the zombie apocalypse is moved past the explosion there's big blocks of time with characters working things out yeah and there's been some extraordinarily rich dialogue. Like just figuring out life as it is now? No, thing, like... dealing with the fact that they're trapped and could die at any moment. Okay. No one's free yet. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. Not, no one's safe Are they still stuck at all. in the school? They're still stuck, they're stuck on the roof of the school where I am now. Oh. They're stuck on the roof okay. uh, with no food yeah. and no water, okay. just a fire, and no one coming to rescue them. Oh, I'm going to have to watch this show. And there are other characters all over the place as well. Mm-hmm. But the, there is, it's just a, they sit around a campfire and they talk for an episode for That's like great. 50 minutes. Yeah. And so all of these characters, young people who are uncomfortable in, in a culture that's uncomfortable with overt uh, presentation of self, mm-hmm. exposing truths about themselves to each other. Like really great way to do drama. So, yeah. and, and in the middle of that, you have, you know, someone getting, you know, like there's one bad guy who is through an entire like confrontational assault against other characters because I'm trying to try not to spoil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's chewing on some piece of a person he's bitten oh. earlier, and he's just like talking and like, like it's so amazingly fun. And yet in that fun, there's also right. the horror, like the whole world. Yeah, that's so cool. There you go. That's yeah. cool. And how many episodes is this? And this is on. Prime Netflix? No, it's a Netflix it's show, Netflix? and I don't know. I think it's twelve. I think the first okay. season's twelve. Okay, cool. Um, and then I watched just as a, to stay in the same area. Yeah, follow up. Um, Nineteen ninety-seven film called Cure. Okay. Okay. Um, it's a uh, it's essentially a descendant of Seven for all mm. practical purposes. It feels like some wild mix of something like The Ring or The Grudge, like yeah, yeah, a yeah. sort of Japanese horror, right? And uh, uh, and something like seven. Hmm. It, it, it's it is a ex- hmm. exploration of mood and madness. It's quite an amazing film. Uh, it is uh, the the reason the reason I ended up um, watching it is because there's a there was a movie on like strangely enough there's a movie on Criterion called Creepy that sounded really good. So I was like, all right, so. <laughs> I want to see this creepy movie, but it says this other film's one he should watch first. So I I watched and and it's quite quite a good both film. of those films are on Criterion. They're both on Criterion. I think you can see the Cure other places. It is, uh, it is a relentless exploration of like violence and horror in the way that sure. uh, Seven drives R- uh-huh. characters who are burnout and damaged. Right towards a conclusion that may not be completely satisfying. Yeah. And the film does not answer all of its questions. It leaves plenty open at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mood, the there's a distance we have from the characters visually that's quite impactful, quite affecting. And the cinematography is really quite beautiful, uh, especially for 1997, sort of where we have a digital is this, impact. Is this a U.S. made film? Or is no, this these are just is this Japanese. Japanese still? Okay. Yeah, so this is part of this sort of... Uh, the korean to japanese jump this asian mm-hmm. world that i've been deep in yeah. so there you go that's another one Sick. we're watching cool uh speaking of um non-satisfying conclusions uh i watched and experienced for the first time west side story <laughs> <laughs> i have to tell you i really didn't like this film 
Okay. I don't. All I right. don't think, and I don't necessarily think it's the film in general. It may be because I haven't seen. I actually haven't seen the uh, the original film either. This is my first encounter with West Side Story, um, not knowing anything about the story at all. Zero things. Right. And within like ten minutes, I was like, okay, this is just Romeo and Juliet set in whatever nineteen. 40s or 50s, 60s, New York, whatever time period it is. Um, but the I just, ah, oh God, I just didn't like it at all. I, I think <laughs> the film is probably good, but it's just I hated the story. Right. And so I'm struggling with like how the heck do I rate this or review this thing because I hate the story, but the film is good. The filmmaking is good. The cinematography is good. The production design is amazing. The costume design is amazing. Like all of these things are great. The acting performances uh Everybody except for Ansel Elgort is probably really, really great. Ansel Elgort doesn't do it for me every time. Um, but man, I just hated the, <laughs> I just hated this <laughs> film. I just hated it. So I gave it a three and a half star because I couldn't just. It was better than average. That's so funny. I hated the. But film. I would have given the story a like stars. a one and a half star. Okay. The story right. itself gets like a one and a half star for me. That's fascinating. Especially the ending because I just don't feel like I don't feel like the characters learned anything like i don't feel like anybody has progressed i think that's probably true like it's just it feels like it ends i'm like you're gonna still do the same crap that you've been doing for the entire movie and also all the whole film takes place in like 30 hours right there's just it just i i, I have a hard time getting on board with like love at first sight um <laughs> which i it's funny i don't i don't necessarily have a problem with it but i have a problem with it when it happens within 30 hours and then like a whole bunch of crap goes down that was really easily avoidable right uh, so i just couldn't susp i think i probably just couldn't suspend my disbelief enough because it is a musical and it's in this really hyper i don't know realistic world of some sort i just can't get behind it so anyway i watched that i hated it won't probably won't watch it again even though i need to go and watch the original apparently i've already been threatened to watch that yeah my wife might divorce me if i don't so <laughs> um so yeah that's that's what i've been watching um other than that there i mean i'm still continuing with my star wars uh series almost done the bad batch thank god because the show is actually very mediocre sorry dave filoni it is pretty mediocre i was thinking that it would be better I mean, we watched this when it came out week to week for mm -hmm. 16 weeks. It right. was a long time. It's a long run. And I was thinking, man, this show's not that good, but I'm enjoying it. And I said, maybe it's going to be better when you binge through it. You watch like four episodes at a time. It's not. It's a little bit better. It's not that much better. Great. Um, okay. So that's one that I would say might be worth skipping if you're just not wanting to watch any of the animated series stuff. Or there may honestly be a few episodes that you can watch because honestly they don't kind of like they don't really build on each other right okay you can watch a few episodes and then jump six or seven episodes and it would be just just as good um so yeah that's um that's where i'm at that's what i've been watching so i, I got two more i want to mention yeah, just because I, I, I they were like really an extraordinary two films the first is uh from a documentarian who's a friend of mine uh and named Anthony Giacchino. He won the 2020 Academy Award for this film called yeah. Colette. Oh, um, awesome. It's about, it's about a 25-minute long doc uh, that you can see on the Guardian's website. So if you want to yeah. watch it, you can watch it for free on the Guardian's website. And it's the story of a woman who was in the French uh, resistance in World War II with her brother, and her brother is captured during that time, and uh, she has not captured taken to a concentration camp where he dies yeah yeah yeah. and she has not engaged in that since his death hmm. back in the 40s 
and with the help of a young woman who's trying to document all of the people, the French who are, have died in these concentration camps, she decides to go back. Okay. And so at, I don't know how old she's, she's in her late 80s, she travels with this young woman back into Germany for the first time, all the way to uh, the, the concentration camp, to the crematoriums, like they go that far. And the film is emotionally captivating. There's a lot of reviewers who have complained to say it's exploiting her mm. in some way uh, for you know entertainment purposes or whatever, for documentary purposes. But knowing the documentarian, I know first of all that wasn't his intent, and second of all, they spent so much time prepping before they went to do it, that her emotion in the film is so authentic yeah. that I think for a viewer that can be hard. But the bond between her and this young woman who's doing the research is fascinating, mm. and it's quite well shot. It, 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 it's one of those things where we we just need to revisit World War II and the concentration camps on a regular basis, and yeah. and this is one of those times where, especially when we're hearing words like Nazi thrown around internationally, that right. Well, um, and especially with everything happening with Russia and Ukraine yeah, exactly. right now, too, like all of that. Um, it's yeah. it's pretty quite powerful. It's quite powerful, really good, and, and like I say, like a twenty five minute watch. Where did you watch that? Uh, again, it's on the Guardian's website. I just searched. Oh, that's right. I literally just went oh, to the cool. Guardian's website, and you can watch it. Maybe it's we'll, on YouTube. We'll leave a link in the show notes here. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, um, if you guys want to watch that, and then the other one I watched, and this is one that I pop is on Criterion. It just popped up in my feed, so mm. to speak, which is not a Criterion way of speaking at all. <laughs> and it's uh, Denny Villeneuve's one of his early oh. films, two thousand nine, called. Polytechnique, which is about mm -hmm. a, um, a, uh, I saw you put that on Letterboxd. Yeah, yeah, it's like a live shooter in a oh. technical institute who is trying to kill the feminists, quote unquote. Mm. Um, there, Denny Villeneuve is simply one of our best directors. Like, yeah, oh yeah, hands like, down. Yeah, and I most of the work we've gotten to see from him has been work with extraordinarily large scale, mm -hmm. right? And this is a film that takes place in this one location with a couple of characters, and he you can see all of the tools of the trade he's using today yeah. in, a, in a different environment. It's all in black and white. Hmm. So from a cinematography standpoint, we, we get to see his eye even more clearly because the cinematography, the, the glorious big shots that we get in things like Dune or an arrival, like those things where it's huge and big, yeah. none of that is there. Mm. And yet we still get these giant shots of the, the sort of establishing pieces. And the camera simply lives, I mean, it lives in every single position in relationship to the characters. Mm. It's a beautiful watch, uh, captivating. The story is very traumatic. He, the way he treats the victims in the story, all of whom he does not name for real. Like, they're, none of them are real people because he decided right. to honor them. He does list all of their names at the end of the film, which I thought was quite powerful. Is this based on a... Based on a real thing. This is a real event. It happened in Montreal. Oh, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. So he... I was going to say, this wasn't long after the... If 2009, when did Virginia Tech happen? Because that was the first uh, one that came to mind. Know. But I, don't know. I didn't hear anything about Montreal. So but that's cool. Okay. The... The, the way he treats the victims, yeah. the, the, these female victims, is so sensitive, mm -hmm. it, it, and yet we still get, we still get, we still capture the violence and the awfulness yeah. of it. And that is a line that is very hard to thread. Totally, like, it's really difficult to do. And 
uh, and, and he does it really well, it, it, really worth watching. Again, it, I don't remember how long it is. It's a little bit, I mean, it's certainly longer than the 24 minute doc, but it's really well worth watching. <laughs> yeah. Is it a feature? Um, it's a feature. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, he just shows his skill. So there you go. I just thought yeah, I, would, I would throw those two He is in. definitely one of my favorites. I think my favorite from him is still, I think it's still Sicario. Um, but, right. and that, and that has that grand scale that you're talking mm -hmm. about, but also very intimate moments there, with characters. Exactly. Um, and yeah, it's, that's a, I think that might be one of his best films still. Yeah. So I posted some images up on our Instagram too. So if you want to see some of like, that's where you post the decision it. It making look, what well, is letterbox too, but did I did post a, okay. a pile of images up on the Instagram and you get to sort of get a sense of the thoughtfulness by which he shoots the film. Yeah. Uh, it's well worth watching. Yeah. That's great. Oh yeah, you did. I found your I found your review on Polytechnic here on Letterboxd. Yeah, 2009. It's 77 minutes. That's under an hour. Yeah, there and a half. you go. Uh, you know, that's that's an easy watch. Um, sorry, I mentioned where you watched that again. Was that that's that was Criterion. Criterion? Yeah, and I don't know if it's in, it. I mean, it it's on Criterion right now, running. It, it, I, you can see it on Amazon too, I guess, hmm. like Amazon Video. But I'm not sure whether or not it's. Uh, yeah. You, it costs there. I can't imagine it costs very much anyway. So, hmm. there you go. That's okay. great. All right. That's great. It's perfect. All right, well, let's maybe dive into some of the uh, films that we have been watching in the last couple of weeks to months. Right. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen some of these films, so maybe we could just do a you know, 10, 15 minutes here for each film or just go as long as we want to. Yeah, uh, is, there, is there a film that you want to start with first? It does not matter to me which one we start with all at right. all. Let's maybe start with Free Guy because okay. that was the most recent watch for me. Okay, great. Um, I don't know about you, but... Yeah, so there's going to be some spoilers here for Free Guy, most likely. Probably most of these films there will be some some spoilers for. Uh, and I believe all of these are out and streamable at this point. Uh, Free Guy's on Disney+. Plus. The King's Man, I believe, is on Hulu and HBO Max. Free Guy's also on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. And The French Dispatch, I believe, is a second location, too. Yeah, yeah there's I think this that might be on of, HBO Max uh, uh, as well. Um, the... What is the movie you just hated? Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> West Side Story. West Side Story is is on Disney and that, that's on Disney Plus HBO, and HBO Max, Max as well because yeah. there's this crossbreeding. Yeah. There. So uh, cool. Yeah, Free Guy. So I remember <laughs> I remember seeing trailers for this and saying this movie is going to suck. Are we? Are we. Well, I think well, we may well, have said it in a podcast at some it, point. Probably. Um, I have to say that we were wrong about this movie. It does not suck. It does not suck at all. I gave it four stars, I think, on Letterboxd. Yeah, I gave it four stars as well. Out of five, by the mm -hmm. way, not out of ten. It, <laughs> it was uh, surprisingly good. I don't know how or why it's good, but it just works. Do you? Did you? I mean, you, I think you watched this. You maybe had more time to process this I than did. I have. Um, when did you watch this? Because it was for I, me like I two weeks ago. I watched it back in it might it like February, I think. Oh dang, yeah. Okay. Like as soon as it came out on. No, no, I watched it on March 13th. Why it's showing up on my February list. That's weird. So anyway, um no, it's not. Today's March 13th. No. So I, I don't understand. <laughs> I, I don't have any I, I showing up on my February like, list. That's today. I like, watched February 25th. There you go. That's <laughs> okay. it. You can this is going that's so swimmingly good. That's today. So good. No, it's we're pros. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> I watched the, all three of the films we're going to talk about like over a 72-hour period. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, Okay, great. Uh yeah, it just works. The film just works. Um, Ryan Reynolds, I think, is better than usual <laughs> in this film, even though he's the same 
as yeah, it normally is. I think you know? that you know we have to just admit that there is a genre of cinema called the Reynolds or yeah. Reynolds, and it's what he does. Like, and yeah, the movies yeah. just coalesce around his fourth wall breaking. Yeah, smarmy. Does he break the fourth wall in this movie? Uh, well, I think he comes close. If he doesn't, because the fourth wall is really like the internet. Yeah, I mean, he. I don't know. The, the film is breaking the fourth wall, yeah. right? Like he is. Yeah. living in a film as a character and dealing with real life like right. the film is doing the there's thing there's a little meta thing right. of being in a game in a movie yeah yeah it's it's very good Jodie Comer once again is just so amazing yeah I loved her in The Last Duel I love her in Killing Eve I love her in Free Guy there hasn't been a single thing I've watched her in that I don't love Jodie Comer she her flexibility and uh, the variety with which she sort of presents herself is amazing. Mm -hmm. And she has such a, a skill with her voice, let alone the acting talent behind it. Mm -hmm. She effectively presents two different characters in this film yeah. locked together yeah. by a by a personality, right? Yep. Um, and really, really wonderfully done. I think that was the thing for me that made this film work was actually the fact that we were out of the game mm -hmm. and that there was a different storyline that was running parallel to the Ryan Reynolds um Ryan Reynolds Jody Comer story there was this uh what's his name from Stranger Things Steve right and Jody Comer right right running parallel to Ryan Reynolds and Jody Comer in the real world mm -hmm. and the whole talk of um intellectual property and uh it, touching on the evil nature of capitalism and consumerism and all those things too mixed in there. Um, Taika was a surprise. For some reason, I forgot he was in this movie. Uh, and, and just awful. Yeah, completely uh, terrible. Really person. a terrible person. Uh, so I think that whole outside of the game story really worked because I didn't realize that was a thing in the trailers. They didn't really they don't push that, that at all. all. Well, because you can't market any of the people who mm -hmm. are out there necessarily and so or you blow something. I think something. That, that trailer just doesn't work for me because I didn't know what the story was. Yeah. And that may have been why I was saying this movie was just going to bomb. Well, I mean, the other thing is that we've seen things that might fit into this category mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. they haven't worked. So They haven't worked. There was a film that came out not too, not too long ago and Adam Sandler, um, Peter Dinklage... I think it was called Pixels. Uh, Pixels, uh, Kevin yeah. James, somewhat similar concept, and that but movie really just terrible, real hard, yeah, yeah. And you, you have, I mean, Ready Player One as a mm -hmm. core idea that's right. underlying. Like you can just hear the pitch meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Ready Player One. Mm -hmm. You know, is stuck in there in as part of that pitch. And Ready Player One, the movie Ready Player One, fails really profoundly, right? Because it they don't understand how to mat manifest the the novel in a way and part of that's just because intellectual property is posing a problem yeah, right yeah. so this movie removes anybody's actual intellectual property right uh, and as a result you're not limited you're not expecting to see someone like in in uh ready player one where you need to see godzilla like godzilla needs to arrive right uh and right, you, or iron giants is iron giant in there as well or yeah like the in, delorean in, pops in, in like it's then they, these things yeah. can't appear because the ip isn't legally yeah. owned by warner brothers right and that i mean it's just a mess and so uh oh i see from the book to the yeah to the, the book has the game, all the, the book show. has some extremely yeah. fun easter eggs okay. that can't go to the film right so because they can talk about it he can write about it but he can't show it that's visually. exactly right yeah. and, and, and so they didn't mm. you know warner brothers want to 
advertise other people. It's like doubly bad. They don't want to pay for the clearance potentially. Right. But more likely, they don't want to advertise other properties. Right. And that is just exactly what nostalgia shouldn't be about. Right, right, right. Nostalgia shouldn't be in a package. Nostalgia should only serve story rather than yeah, self-serving exactly. itself. And the, yeah. the book's not perfect, but it's fun. Like, if you're a geek, the book is, like, fantastic. Um, I feel like I remember seeing trailers for Ready Player One and saying that this just feels like... Um, self-promoting mm-hmm. HBO Max and Warner Brothers um, in the same way that Space Jam with LeBron James right. just kind of dumps in like yeah. Game of Thrones and like all this other random crap that you're like, this just, just feels like a self-promotion. Uh, yeah. So I, and I think Free Guy, because it doesn't have the IP, part of that works. I think you're right about it being outside the game and that storyline really plays. It really it really works. The, you know, Well, and it works for not just our characters to progress in the real world, but it pushes Ryan Reynolds character in the game to uh, yes. he pushes him forward as well mm-hmm. um, well he develops right and i think that's the other thing that the film really has going for it is from a thematic perspective okay. that's hilarious come on bud he's, he's not going to do what my you want like we're, we're trying to manifest the dog's movement here <laughs> yeah i think joe keery really kills it i think joe that keery he, that's his name he yeah. really kills it uh he is a charming romantic figure yeah but he plays the geek sufficiently well he like, does a pretty good job yeah and he stands up to jody comer which is not easy right no, like he, no, no, no. he's a you yeah, he's, feel like they're a good pair and their chemistry's good and all of yeah. It. yeah yeah no he was uh, great and i think the channing tatum appearance is that's hilarious pretty good. Yeah. like really that's like clever good. and really well that's, done that's on the same it's almost on the same level for me as uh if you've seen the other guys with samuel L. jackson mm-hmm. and the rock in the opening sequence right and they die like ten minutes into the movie. Uh, it's just one of those gags that just that just works. Channing Tatum being in the game just works. The other thing I want to say is the that Free Guy has a thematic content that is about the value of art of respecting human life. Mm-hmm. Right? There is mm-hmm. this underlying idea, yeah. and the the idea of gaming that is positive, that is like yeah. that is uplifting for a human, and those those things really help that film get to its end yeah you know yeah oh yeah totally the um i mean the entire conversation around uh ai and what is you know is this a living being that has feelings and if so what do you do with it um you know you can't possibly destroy it now because it has because it has feelings because it has its own thoughts it's mm-hmm. a, it's essentially a sentient being without a body right i mean it it, it does it, it has a body in physical digital space but I don't think it can necessarily feel pain physically, but it can feel pain emotionally. Right. Right. So therefore, you it would be a crime to commit some kind of atrocity against it. Um, the film really reminded me of like if the Truman Show and Ready Player One had like a baby. Yeah, I think that's... You know, like that's, I had some, yeah. uh, some major Truman Show vibes coming from here. I almost wanted to toss in like some kind of reference to Ex Machina as well with the entire conversation with AI. And I realized I said halfway through, Halfway through the film, um, I said that he passes the Turing test um, because she's having this conversation with who sh- she thinks is an actual player right. in the game. And they didn't bring that point up at all, which I was kind of hoping they were going to. Um, but he does. He fully passes this Turing test that you saw in the imitation game mm-hmm. and in Ex Machina. Right. Uh, and that she thinks that he's an actual real physical person mm-hmm. playing this game. But she's been conversing with an AI the entire time. And an AI that she wrote. Right. So she didn't even realize that she was talking to her own code, essentially. Right. 
So it was a very cool movie. I really, I really liked and it. The effects and everything work too. Like yeah. it's fun. They, it's sufficiently aware of its own limitations, mm -hmm. and it makes gags based around those. Yeah, so totally. The dude character, right? Right. Um, <laughs> which is hilarious, yeah. right? Um, they make fun of all the components of that. And the other thing I think that's really interesting is what's the 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 super glitch game that you played? Uh, oh, I was playing Cyberpunk for a while. Right. And I just couldn't do it anymore. <clears throat> There's all of this it. like conversation about poorly yes. implemented gaming yep. that plays in the background of this that I think is really funny. So yeah. there there are things that are not necessarily Easter eggs, but experiential for people who understand gaming, mm -hmm. uh, or at least have talked to people who understand gaming that really do play, and they're like, it's great. Uh, the, the, it's and and yeah. it is absolutely enjoyable. It's fully enjoyable, it's, and especially if you're a gamer too, because I mean, I don't, I play an okay amount of video games, but not to the point to like know who the gamers were that showed up. Mm -hmm. I, I was talking to my brother who does play a lot of video games. Right. I only knew one of those gamers. He knew all of them when, and he and he really appreciated that they pulled in actual like streamers, like Twitch streamers and YouTube streamers to like be part of this thing. I and I think it probably adds a legitimate amount of i don't know uh realism to what that this yeah. game could exist because it does give you this kind of Fortnite vibe mixed with like a massive yeah. open world mmo right? yeah like, and it feels a little bit like it could be grand theft auto in the background right, right? Like that little it's like this of merge of so many different types of games mm -hmm. um but in some kind of massive multiplayer online version um but yeah, I mean, there's so many tropes. There's so many little jokes thrown in there. I mean, there's there's a shot where you can see a guy and uh, just some character glitching in the background right. as he's like jumping or trying to like take money out of an ATM, and all of a sudden he glitches and he's like moving in a different way. Like there's just there's just so many little jokes thrown in, and it just makes you smile if not laugh. Uh, if you're not laughing, you're still having a good time because some right. of the jokes I don't think are like laugh out loud funny for me anyway, but. The, the whole thing was just, it was well, so fun to watch. And at its watch. core, it's a romantic comedy, right? right so right. like it does the rom-com thing instead of being an adventure film. It's a rom-com for guys. And it really right? does play. Like, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's I think that's a great uh, way to Ryan say Reynolds it. Ryan Reynolds said, how do we make a rom-com for dudes? And he said it in a video game. Yeah. And that would work. That would work. Uh, there's really, for me, nothing to mention about cinematography because it was just like, it is that rom-com look, right? Just everything is bright. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as like production design went, I don't actually know where they shot this or how they shot this. It seems to me like this entire thing could have either been shot in some massive backlot set or they were on green screen for the entire time. I heard Jodie Comer talk about the shooting. This is the first film she ever was in sort of a green screen box. Like that's okay, the yeah, first time yeah, she was yeah. ever in there. Uh, and she talked about how, how much respect she gained for actors who have to act in that environment, which yeah. I thought was really like all the time, great, like yeah. all the Marvel guys. Like, right? It's like yeah. they, there's people who are doing this as a career, and right. understanding what's happening is really difficult. Uh, so I know at least some portion of the film is shot just in a green yeah. box. I would imagine a very large chunk of it. I would imagine a pretty yeah. big. Chunk but the of fact it. that I couldn't tell if this was on location in some backlot or on a green screen yeah. means that technology has come pretty far. In yeah, the last, however, I think so. You know, many well, years. and the film is establishing for you expectations that you can live with, right? Yeah. Like it, it, the meta of it right. really makes that possible. And the distinction between real world and 
the game world is clear. Mm-hmm. You don't ever not know where you are. Right. And and as a result of that, it makes the game world feel anchored, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, totally. And if the game world looks a little bit fake, it's fine because it is a game. Because it's fake. Right, because right. it is fake. Uh, anything else you want to say about Free Guy? No, people should watch it. Definitely uh, definitely see it. I wish I'd seen it in a theater. I do. Yeah, that would have been fun. Uh, it would have been a lot of fun that to see it in a theater. We would have had a nice conversation after it in yeah. the theater. Yeah, that would have been a good time. But so. catch that. That's on HBO Max and on Disney+. Plus. All right, let's move on to the next film. All right, well, let's dive into The French Dispatch, Wes Anderson's latest film. Um, I was... Not a huge fan. <laughs> Not a huge fan. I think it was fine. I think that some of the stories were fine. Some were better than others. It just felt like it didn't... It was just disjointed. Like, it didn't come together at the end for me. I thought they were all going to be tied together a little bit better. Yeah, I, I I felt like this is one of those examples of where a filmmaker should really consider a limited series mm-hmm. of short films these this was a series of interesting short films that if made in a six-part limited series that runs on hbo you can find some meat to connect everything i'm not even sure that these would have fit on hbo these felt like they would have fit better on like youtube or vimeo because they're so short yeah like there's like an owen wilson one in the beginning isn't there that's like six minutes long and then they go to uh, Benicio's, mm-hmm. which is like 20, 15 or 20. Yeah, the, the Owen Wilson piece feels like it's establishing geography that we don't ever use again. Yeah. And it feels completely gimmick, right? Like a, that yeah. felt like completely a gimmick. Um, I understand what it was doing. I mean, part of this, it's supposed to be like a magazine, right? Yeah, so right, right, right. So making this point. But that feels like a gimmick. It is it right as opposed to having something part. that has integrity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, maybe it's an homage to real magazines that sure. have, for all practical purposes, died in our industry. It's a, it is certainly an homage to writing, mm-hmm. right, and art, which not surprising, I guess. But yeah, it certainly doesn't feel like it fits together. Yeah, the the Owen Wilson piece is almost forgettable, right? And his no, it, it's almost fully forgettable because I forget that it happened until I remember that there was, I think, four stories told instead of three because there's three larger stories and there's like one little mini one at the beginning. Yeah, and that, and I couldn't tell you what it's about. He has a bicycle, I think, at some point. I, he's just traveling through the town yeah. sort of yeah. on a bike, yeah. yeah. Like it's it's a travelogue, right. which is a legitimate part of the expat right. sort of right. world of magazines. I think it would have been even better if there was... One, it was already long. I feel like the I feel like what was it like a two hour runtime? Um, oh. If it wasn't, then it definitely felt like it was two hours or longer. One hundred eight minutes. One hundred eight so minutes. Not, so yeah. it's not even two. No. It felt like it felt long. It by the by the middle of the third, uh, I guess technically the fourth story. That last story, I was saying, man, this is just this is long. This is a long movie because it showed so disjointed that there's no. There's nothing keeping my interest going from story one to story two to story three. Right. The thing that's supposed to bind them together is the is, magazine itself. Is Bill Murray. It feels and, like. And one, Bill, Bill Murray, Murray supposed right? to bind well, everybody And together. that idea of that, I mean, spoilers ahead, right? That it is essentially the the epitaph for Bill hmm. Murray's character right. in some way. That because he's alive through the bulk of the film um, and 
as interesting as some of the performances are, they do feel haphazard and disconnected. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, yeah, it just doesn't work. I And I know he was trying to make it feel like, you know, what would a magazine look like if it was put to cinema, if mm -hmm. it was transformed into film? And I have to say, like, I think probably pretty close. I think he probably could have used two shorter stories that went in between the larger pieces. Right. Like just five minutes of something because you will get that in a magazine. You'll get a long, long story, mm -hmm. multi-pager followed by a like single page or two of this quick little thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this this short column. But we, I didn't feel like it flowed like a magazine. I don't read magazines, but I don't feel like it flowed like a magazine would have flowed The, the problem is that they're, the magazine isn't about connective tissue, right? Right, it's all so separate there are articles that may fit under a single theme, mm -hmm. which is certainly not not really present in yeah. the movie. And there's things that are visually quite beautiful throughout the film. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, it's a well crafted film. I think that uh, like Tilda Swinton's character is really interesting, mm -hmm. but that presentation she does feels like it's a presentation instead of an article. And then right. we get to the article, and the article is, you know. Um, is that Benicio's yeah, story? Yeah, that's Benicio's yeah. story, which is interesting um, and absurd. Like, there's plenty of interesting uh -huh. absurdity in it, but it doesn't necessarily uh, match any of the rest of the content. In but to be honest, the piece. Th that one was my favorite piece of the three. Oh, agreed. That was the most interesting mm -hmm. one. Um, I thought the other two were fine, but I wasn't connected to them as much as I was to that first one. And I'm wondering if it was because I saw that first one first. Like I'm wondering if I watched either of the other two stories first, yeah. if I would have been more attached to those characters, mm -hmm. thinking that this was gonna be a longer thing. Cause I went into this film not knowing a single thing. I mean, the trailer doesn't really tell you that it's four separate stories or three separate mm -hmm. stories. It just flashes characters right. on screen. I didn't read the synopsis before watching this film. I thought it was going to be like one long thing. Uh, and so when they broke it up into three different stories, I said, okay, maybe they'll tie together at the end. And they just didn't really tie it together. I thought these stories were going to bleed together. I thought there was going to be this thread line that ran all the way through either thematically or had impact on characters either in the past or moving forward. Uh, but it was just so completely disjointed that I just don't, I just wasn't a fan it did feel like it was a kind of like a test for him or, or a way for him to flex his muscles in a way that he couldn't do otherwise in a different type of film, even though I'm not sure that's true or not. Like the, there's an animated piece towards the end, right. which I think, I don't know what it's referencing, but there's probably some magazine that he is referencing or some piece of art that he's referencing in that animation. Well, and there are cartoons in these magazines, right? So like, you no, know, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that- um, But a specific cartoon style that he's referencing. Right, I, I guess I the Jeffrey say. Wright story I actually thought was interesting too, but mm -hmm. in the end- That was the third story. That's Yeah, there. it's the um, the prison chef story, right? Mm -hmm. Which I, and it plays fine, it just doesn't feel like it- By the, by the time I'm yeah. watching, did you watch this in one sitting? I did. By the time I got to that story, I was tired. Yeah, I'll buy that. And so I just, I, I sort of gave up on caring because I'd been thrown two, uh, two or three, two and a half stories at me with characters that it didn't really pay off in the end mm -hmm. of each of those stories. Like it just felt incomplete. 
which articles do most of the time because it is just like I'm presenting you with this piece of information. Right, some profile. The story of some happened. Sort, some right? story happened before this, and some story happened after this. And this is just like you said, a profile of what I'm writing about. But the, his story continues on. These they just kind of ended, and then we got to this third story, and I was just kind of like I was tired, and I just didn't just didn't care anymore. Yeah, and I and I think that that's all like a legitimate read. It's interesting to me because the quirkiness and inventiveness of other films like Grand mm. Budapest Hotel, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The that that part of that is about the quirkiness through the arc of the story. Yeah. So as we as we proceed in the world of these characters, something happens to us as an audience, right? Mm -hmm. And we're able to we sort of almost submit to the madness. Yeah. And here each time we sort of got to a submission point, we reset ourselves into some still absurd or strange uh, real world event where right. the magazine itself is being crafted and we get some writerly jokes and then we dive into a new piece and we have to reacclimate ourselves yeah. to the character's interactions and the quirkiness is something that a slow burn, right, mm -hmm. gives you an opportunity to w w empathize or whatever, but in these shorter versions you don't get this the, the depth of experience with the characters no yeah no it's true it's it was just it was just not my favorite definitely not my favorite Wes Anderson piece I think he's better when he's when he is telling one full narrative arc of a story rather than breaking it into a bunch of smaller pieces and he's the type of director that's going to make what he wants to make which is totally cool like I'm totally mm -hmm. down with him doing this um I enjoyed watching like I said I enjoyed I actually enjoyed the Owen Wilson piece I enjoyed the uh, Tilda Swinton, Benicio del Toro, um, Adrian Brody piece. Right, right. Um, mm -hmm. You know the Timothy Chalamet and Francis McDormand piece was fine, mm -hmm. I, but like following up the story, the previous story, I just wanted more of that instead of more of the other two. Like I wish we just would have continued with a full. It, they just felt like a bunch of short films thrown into a single film. Yeah, and it's so and like we're being low key and not positive, but I don't think that's saying this is a bad film. It's just certainly not as good as Wes Anderson's other work, I, I would think say. Like I said, I think it's I think it's four fine, good short films thrown into one movie. It's an anthology, right? right? It's an anthology mm -hmm. film with four films inside. And it's just, I think maybe just because the expectations I had going in weren't that this is what it was going to be. Uh, because of what his other work is, I was expecting something much, much different. Um, but I think he's better doing... I think he's better doing films that are full narrative arcs. Yeah, and the ensemble is a, an important part of his filmmaking, yeah. mm -hmm. and the, these characters get split up, right? And yeah. we don't ever get a full-bodied ensemble experience with the writer's room, mm -hmm. except at the end in the funeral moments, and even then it feels it's late in the game, there. right? It's not like a fun... And it would be interesting to see that yeah. ha happen yeah. more fully. And he, 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 there's a couple of like deep focus shots when we're in, when in between the stories that just don't have enough, mm -hmm. they don't take enough space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, to say some positives though, uh, just like any Wes Anderson film, it's stunning. Right, to look it's at. beautiful to look at. Oh my goodness, some well, of the shots are just unbelievably and wildly crazy good. creative. Yeah. Right, like really creative, really mm -hmm. interesting, daring. Yeah, filmmaking. All, yeah. It's just so crazy to look at. Uh, the art direction is beautiful, from production design to costuming. Mm -hmm colors of course the color palette like any Wes Anderson film the color palette is pastel-y and there's a amazing looking black and white for 
Tilda Swinton's right. story. Like there's when you get this, and he always does really interesting things with depth or mm -hmm. lack of depth, right? Mm -hmm. But instead of that sort of shallow focus thing that is so popular today, right. it's just it's, intimacy. Yeah, it's just stop down to F sixteen. Right, exactly. Uh, just really, really intimate. Yeah. Or, but in in a tight close up. Oh, and yeah, in the same right. way, we get these moments where we're we have all of this depth, and we have characters sitting in what looks like a Citizen Kane style. Scene. Are, are all three of these stories in black and white at some point? Is Jeffrey Wright's story in black and white at some point? I don't remember. I can't remember. I, I don't remember. Because Timothy Chalamet's was for a bit as well, right? Was that in black and white? Oh, you're killing me. I can't remember. It, they all see these stories There's blend a, and it, merge there is, together a bit. It is. But it, and because they don't have, because each of them to me don't have a distinct look, it's hard for me to even separate them. Yeah, it, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I don't know for sure. I will say that I know that Jeffrey Wright's isn't all in black and white, right? Because those no, there's TV stuff, studio yeah, TV stuff, studio that, which yeah. is shot really interestingly, uh -huh. like it looks like old TV studio work. Yeah. Well, and the color grade even looks like it's like on a 70s mm -hmm. vibe too. Yeah, and the I have to say that you're right about art direction, costumes, all those things. Oh my gosh, they nailed it. Are beautiful, right? Yeah. It's all beautiful. This is a problem of storytelling mm -hmm. and overall structure, not a problem of, basic yeah, filmmaking right, right. and the filmmaking and even the even the direction like all of that is top notch mm -hmm. it's just the story itself and the structure lack of story uh throughout the entire two hours or whatever it is uh that just doesn't do it for me right yeah so okay all right yeah i think we agree pretty much completely on that cool. sorry wes yeah it's okay you wes know? you got beat up by plenty of people yeah for grand that budapest movie, is so. still amazing right i just don't love this one so all right, let's uh let's move on to the last one. We're gonna talk about the King's Man. Woof, woof, woof is right. I <laughs> I think I'm gonna be a little bit more forgiving than you are, but for sure, I want to hear your thoughts on this whole film. Um, okay, so maybe give me give me what you hated, and then give me something you liked. So here, here's my <laughs> there's no likable likability. Well, I want to I'm gonna start with <laughs> stuff that I disliked. Yeah, and. And then we can then let's talk, and then we'll see if I can come up with something I like. That's great, <laughs> but but no, I, my problem with this film is a problem that happens when you write yourself into a corner mm -hmm. and you need another sequel. Mm -hmm. This the prequel idea is problematic for me always, mm -hmm. it, uh, and because it has to be about the clever Easter eggs you present from your other films in this third film right. that are referencing back that didn't exist before that first film so it all feels wildly manipulated yeah but the other thing about it that i i just feel like there was not um there nothing felt motivated to me and that's that's exactly what i'm going to say yeah uh, sure so what does it what does it feel like um it feels like he wrote the first two movies, which I know they're based on of comics. I right. don't know how the, all of that works. Um, does it feel like those first two movies were made without ever thinking of the lore of how all of this came to be in the first place? Does that make sense? Like there was only specific does, lines. Right. Because the mystery of the past is what makes it interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, and the, the idea of Spectre is interesting because we don't know how Spectre started. Right. We just know that Spectre exists for Bond, right? Right. The the double O 
we don't know where that started. We just know it's there mm -hmm. and the mystery around its origins because it isn't reasonable. Like none right. of it, it shouldn't be reasonable. It shouldn't exist. Right, a, in the a, same way a, like yeah. finding out how men in black comes into uh -huh. existence yeah. isn't interesting to me. No, an um, intelligence agency that's operating outside of the governments isn't interesting. It's, well, it is interesting, but how it formed is not. But because we because we've already seen the out, we the just have results, to accept that it's happened, and and we can enjoy it, right? Yeah. Like the whole point of the first two Kingsman films is this sort of wild visual mm. journey full of violence, and uh, and and there's a thing about class in those mm. two films yeah. that this movie does not have at all, right. right? So like everyone in this film is supportive and engaged from beginning in the upper class uh and that to me is weird like that's problematic like i don't know whether fine's character there's a is a hero or not see bit of class in this only with the people who choose or don't choose to go to war and those right. who decide to not mm -hmm. go to war right right like there's there's a whole like rafe being rafe's character not allowing his son to go serve in the war shows his privilege Right. right yeah for sure Whereas other other people are 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 sending are either going to war or they're i don't know if you were drafted back then but so, so the guy who doesn't who uh rafe's son mm -hmm. I don't, i'm gonna pull up the film because i'm not gonna remember names yeah here. i don't i don't know his name um the that's the other problem is i forget everybody's every single right, person's right, right. name in this film so conrad right he conrad yes if the person who's role he takes who returns back to orlando or you know ralph um <laughs> uh, if, if he if he um if he became part of the team that would make sense to me if if he came back and yeah, became oh, yeah. part of the team that if, would feel like kingsman no because conrad dies right spoilers yeah right spoilers yeah at right? this We're point you should know it's happening. the guy who who's Archie Reed. Archie Reed. The person who he took over for, right? Yeah. If he had come back Aaron Taylor Johnson. Like a main guy, right. like a like a a good actor. Yeah. If like he'd come back actor, and been yeah. part of the team, yeah. that would have been transformative in the film for me. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. feel like the movie is a whole series of missed opportunities and failed yes. options. Yeah. I, I I feel like uh I'm with you the on that. Shola character is completely underused. Um uh, I feel like uh, I'm just gonna I'm go down. Everyone I feel like is underused. Yeah. Um, Stanley Tucci is there because we need to see him later, right? Like he's gonna come important. He's one of those Easter eggy kind of people. Wait, he's who is he? He plays the United States ambassador. He appears quite briefly. Who is he? Is he in a different film? So, hang on a second. I didn't think he was Easter eggy, but maybe he is. I don't know. I I um. I, it was just like it was just a, it was just a mess of a movie. You know, there is you know Conrad's death completely shocked the heck out of me. I did not expect his death at all. Um, but it didn't. Again, it you're right. It didn't feel motivated to me. It just felt like, right. hey, we want to throw some shock value your way. So here's a shocking thing that happened, despite him just saving you know, saving this guy. And uh, I mean, I'm at least glad that his death aided in 
like the actual saving of whatever needed to be saved, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still shocking for shock's sake rather than motivated by what the story ne- but the story needed, you know? Yeah, so Tucci isn't even Easter eggy, it looks like. I don't know except where, except for where, his where Stanley Tucci came other, from. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't even know why he's in the movie then at all. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. This this movie feels like it was completely plagued by reshoots and COVID and like a whole bunch of things. Or the script was not as solid as it could have been. Uh, or there was stuff that happened and rewrites needed to happen. I, I don't know. I don't know. There is something that went wrong uh, in some aspect somewhere. <laughs> Of course. Yeah, and, I mean, that's what happens with any bad and movie, like, I guess. I love those first two films. And the second film yeah. is certainly not as good as the first one. But I, I like those films a lot. And they're yeah. fun and they're interesting. And we're engaged with these characters. And here I just felt like they underused mm-hmm. everyone. Everybody. Everybody. They made it this story about the king's man. Mm-hmm. And that isn't what the series is about. Mm-hmm. You know, Right. The, other, the first movie is about uh, Eggsy. Right overcoming that whole class thing mm-hmm. and who he is internally. Right. And then the second one is still similar in a sense. Right. I don't know. Like there's well, a, and there's this re- like reincarnation-y thing there, that has to take place in that, right? There's just like um, a... A rebirth. The, there's still a commentary in some aspect on some kind of social thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's about drug it's about drug use, I feel like. Um, and what, what, what constitutes a good person versus a bad person based on their actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, this movie just doesn't have, I mean, it has something, it feels like there is a theme, but you don't get it because there's just so much other crap that's flying your way throughout the film that it doesn't, again, in the same way the French dispatch dispatch is in disjointed through its structure. This film feels very disjointed through what, uh, the characters are doing even though everything ties together, there's right. just so many actions that are going on, whether it's from this crazy Russian dude who's like telling his minions to go do X, Y, and Z and start World War One, or Rafe deciding to hide a whole bunch of crap from his kid, or Tom Hollander playing three different roles doing... Right. Like, there's just so much stuff that's thrown your way. I would have rather Rasputin just been the main villain for the entire film. Yeah, it feels... It, you're absolutely right. Rasputin was the most interesting person that popped on, up on screen Extremely for the entire film. Extremely interesting. And that set piece feels really, like, shoehorned in because... Mm-hmm. And it's weird, and it's violent, and there's an act at the end that... Yeah. That, like, there's a murder that doesn't feel like it's... Rasputin's like, murder? Yeah, like it's in well, character, but well, then it doesn't really so what's, work. So what's crazy is I was wondering how accurate were all of these deaths that happened? Like, did somebody really throw a bomb at at uh, Franz Ferdinand? So like those, th- that all of the happened. historical pieces are yeah, Everything was accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Rasputin was found murdered with a bullet hole in his head, like in his room. And so I'm like, they all ended in the way that it needed to end. Right, historically it works, right? right? And which, which I really appreciated that attention to detail on that end. Um, with this alternate, like it feels kind of like an alternate history sort of thing, but it's not because it's just like we didn't get the full story, right? Right, because people don't know how Rasputin potentially died or something. Right, we don't know how the the, you know the killing of. Right, uh, I think we do actually know who the the Franz Ferdinand is. There, I think I looked that up. Like the same guy, same name, shot him going down the wrong alley. Like they just presented it in a way that felt like a a very lucky happenstance, right? Occurrence that happened for this guy. Mm -hmm. Um. 
So there was there was details like that that I appreciated, but there was just a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't like. The Rasputin fight was the best scene in the entire film. No, I think you're absolutely right. The last fight is weird. It's, yeah, it's it messy and fit. strange. And you knew like, yeah, you 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 kind of knew that that guy was going to come back up, right? The guy at the end. Yes. Right, like mm-hmm. it was telegraphed over and over again. I feel like, but it wasn't at the same time, so it didn't fully feel like a payoff. It felt more <laughs> like a disappointment. Right. You know, it wasn't a big enough twist for me to be like, I, because I just didn't, I just didn't care. Well, yeah. And the, our hero isn't so one of the other things that the other two films do is it's like people with extraordinary abilities mm-hmm. that, that aren't uh, easily accessed from looking at them. Right. Right. And here it's folks that aren't that good because they're not really those guys yet. Yeah. And so they're, they sure they're okay at what they're doing. But and then there's like a moment of brilliant fighting or whatever, and then yeah. they don't, they just can't sustain it. Yeah, I, I felt like the other thing that bothered me so much was trauma recovery time. Like uh, mm. he's he's mourning his wife's death <laughs> yeah. for twenty, 20 years. years, right? He Keeping mourns that promise his son's death. For 20 minutes. Yeah, right. you know, it just yeah. takes like, oh, you got to yeah. get over it's been it. Like a, it's been like a week and a half. It's just, and yeah. those things are, and you know, so the the trope of I've grown a beard, I'm really depressed, let me shave it off. Let me is, drink all this whiskey. Is Right, it's so yeah. strange. Like the, the, it just felt happenstance. Like things yeah. just felt thrown together. Yeah. Maybe you're right about reshoots and, and stuff like that, but why would you have Stanley Tucci in for almost nothing of a film? Why, I legitimately do not remember him appearing in this film. He's at the table at the end. I do not remember him in this movie. Um, it, at yeah. the end, as in like at the end when the Kingsman is when the Kingsman is formed. When is they he, form the table, he's at the he table. Is he the lead at the table? Oh, he's the U.S. ambassador. He's right. the U.S. ambassador, right? But yeah, are you so, telling me that all that all the governments on Earth knew that these guys existed? Right. Well, there's a there is a Kingsman version in the U.S. Right. Right. So, but it feels like the point of these things is to be able to operate outside I of know, the government. No, it's just the so whole thing is they, the government shouldn't know that these a, people exist. There's wacky, wacky, wackiness. The whole thing is just there a, is zero chance that the United States government would let another internal intelligence community operate without any sort of oversight there's no chance that, that would happen yep unless they didn't know about it and then of course it can because it does happen today like there is some kind of community somewhere organization somewhere <laughs> that is doing intelligence without anybody knowing about it yeah i don't know how this film got released that's that's what my problem is and i i don't because i didn't have fun watching it and there were things I wanted to have fun. Like uh-huh. I, the first two films, even the second one for its problematic. Yeah. Oh, it's beats, still fun. Whatever. It's still fun. Cause it's, this just did not feel yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 there were times where I was like, oh, this probably was thought to be fun. Like this was supposed to be fun. Yeah. But it just Agreed. didn't Even didn't the, play. again, I'm going to bring up the Rasputin fight again, probably could have felt fun, but I was too on the edge of my seat that, uh, uh, Shola was gonna die. I know the entire time. Absolutely. And if they, he did, if they did kill him, I said, "Well, where the hell are they gonna go with this? The rest of this movie?" Well, and he's like, he's the guy who, or that Conrad was. I thought so Conrad was captivating. gonna die in that scene too. So yeah, it was a mess. Uh-huh. And then for Conrad to die on the battlefield is fine if the replacement goes somewhere. Like mm-hmm. things need to have purpose or motivation. Yeah. I just felt like none yeah. of that. It's was just the a case. mess of a movie. Um, it did make me want to watch the other two movies to get the bad taste out of my mouth. I, I guess so I did. True. I watched the other two movies. Oh, good. That's and they're, good. they're leaps and bounds better. 
Yeah. But it is missing some it is missing some of the weirdness that those other two films have. Yeah, I love right? that POV sword fight at the end. Yeah, that was pretty good. But that's again, it feels shoehorned in because it's not consistent well, with the rest like of the film. You're talking like there's two shots of a shot reverse shot of a camera on one sword and a camera on the other right, sword. Right. I'm like cool, and there's two cool shots in a fight scene, but like it doesn't make the fight scene any good. It just makes the fight scene of those two shots memorable. Yeah, why do we need our villain to be mysterious? Why did why did they have to be a mysterious I, person I for the whole film? Right. I don't I don't know. I, it, because that means he is inactivated in the story. So w we have no relationship with him. All well, we how get the hell is, is he getting back and forth. I know, I know. And all we are getting is the um sort of uh the untouchables mm -hmm. smashing a guy's head open at a table yeah. thing which we've seen a hundred times. Yeah, Th that's nothing all we new. get from It that. didn't feel like there was anything new. Yeah. The choreography of the Rasputin fight was awesome. Right. I will say that. That felt fresh mm -hmm. to me. But the rest of it, ah, just, uh, it's forgettable. And, it's but just forgettable the, for the key about that Rasputin fight is it's not about surprise. It's about uh -huh. plan. Uh -huh. And one of the things that makes these films work is that it's, it is about surprise. Yeah. Right? Like we see a thing and we're like, oh, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. And if Rasputin right. is the one who we're not expecting things from, that makes it really complex. It's not as interesting. Mm -hmm. So when Sholak comes in and he's like, does his great sword fighting stuff, and he gets his butt kicked, sort of, we, we're yeah. we're worried about him. That that doesn't play as well right. in the adventure and fun of it. Yeah, uh, that, it, that you're talking about for. like the the unexpected of that church massacre scene in that first movie, or the unexpected of the first time we get to see uh, our lead fighting like mm -hmm. we he he can fight Wh who expects the guy who's colin dressed firth. like that yeah colin yeah. firth who yeah. expects him to be able to right. fight like well that? and and on top of that it's it's the unexpected fight mixed with the weird crazy fresh style of right. this camera work, right exactly right and we didn't get any of that type of camera so work strange right? we didn't get any of those weird it felt Emotions. like it was sitting in the period, right? Mm -hmm. It was sitting in this earlier right. time, like it, it locked itself into right. a, a box right. because of the time period. Right, Vaughn may have said, oh, it takes place early, so let's not throw any of that style, and this is about this time period here. We're just going to keep it Show very the clean. difference, right. Yeah, which was a mistake, I think. I think that he should have kept the style weird. throughout it's, the entire thing. It's so strange. It's mm -hmm. just such an absolutely weird yeah. film. and. It didn't do well, and rightfully so, but I feel like it's a movie that probably was best unreleased and that there's some other good Kingsman story out there. There are two more things coming out, as far as I know. There's a fourth movie that is coming out. I don't know much about it, other than I think Channing Tatum may be involved. Okay. Um, and then there is a limited series on right. the uh, U.S. Statesman the whiskey statesman, right. which I love because that's you're talking Jeff Bridges, Channing Tatum, Halle Berry. Um, that's great. They'll probably introduce a few more people who want to be a part of that. I, I think it's awesome. I'm so, I'm totally down. I'm interested to see what they're going to do with a with a like an eight or ten part series. Mm -hmm. uh, cool to be able to tell a story over a longer period. Um, we've hyped up we've hyped up the you know how television can connect you with characters a little bit better than than a mm -hmm. two-hour film can, so I'm excited for that. Uh, but, I mean, it, he's going to have to redeem himself in this fourth film. Well, it's, it's so it's weird, right? Because it's going to take place after that, like, that second film. X-Men First Class, great watch, right? Not a perfect film, but mm -hmm. like tons of fun. Right. Kick-Ass, not a perfect film, but ridiculous amount of fun. Yeah. Okay, Stardust, 
like fantastic, mm-hmm. ridiculous amount of fun film. Like he's so consistent. Yeah. And for this to have this hiccup, mm-hmm. I mean, I think your point about COVID and whatever, it has to be part of it. Yeah. There's um, got to be something that happened. Yeah, because it just doesn't play. It doesn't I don't work. Know. Yeah, so and I, I hate being ne- that negative, but boy, that it was a yeah. mess. And I wanted to be yeah. funny about it, but then I'm like, ugh. No, nah, you can't even I be can't optimistic even be, about it. It's just you know. so it's just not it's just not a good movie. Um I will say it does make you want to watch the other two though, just to get the bad taste out of your mouth. Yeah, you gave this two stars on Letterboxd. I give it three. Um Yeah, I'm normally more forgiving than you are, but yeah. I was really struggling with this. I I had an okay amount of fun watching it. I it wasn't it wasn't the most fun, that's for sure. But um I saw the so I saw the first I saw the first Kingsman in theaters three times, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily because I wanted to go back three times, but because I kept getting invited out by friends to go see it, and right. I enjoyed it enough to where I was like, "Yeah, all right, I'll go again." That was yeah, a good yeah, yeah. that was a good time. Um, so seeing that three times in theaters, like I I have that movie like seared into my brain from just right. watching it so often. Um, but yeah, this one doesn't. It definitely doesn't live up. Strange, and I mean, it's really interesting to me. We've we've talked about a couple of films today, all of all of whom are uh, built around this COVID experience, right? Mm-hmm. And we can see two of them, I, I think, suffer from that, and one of them, you know, Free Guy finds its way to dance right past that and and go a different direction. Yeah. And I think part of it is that the more you're trying to be yeah. clever and hampered mm. by COVID, the more difficulty that you have. See, that's interesting. Cause when we talked about the French dispatch, I didn't think COVID had any effect on it, but I'm actually wondering if, if, if knowing COVID was a thing, I don't know when he was supposed to release that. Cause that was actually pushed back a year. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So he shot that pre COVID. Right. But the, so never mind about what the, I was going to say. But the, but the thing about COVID is it allows like it just presents problems. Like it just created mm-hmm. distance from the work yeah. and the, maybe the chance to edit more, which may not always be a good idea. That's true. Whatever, you right. know, you just don't know what has gone on in the process. Mm. And when things get held, sometimes they also miss the mark of their time. Right. So it may be that King's Man plays better. A year earlier. A year earlier, you know, like that's yeah. We 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 see that with this whole Marvel thing where everything's out of order now and they're reshuffling, right? Because of the large scale arc, they have the capacity to do some of that work, right. and it may be for the better because they're clever. But in these individual films, shuffling around time, if you miss the time it should come out, yeah, it, there are films that are locked that are righteous in a time, and then because they've matched that time, we have an experience that then lets us continue to watch them, right? Right. No, I I agree. Um, well, if you don't have anything else to say about the King's Man, we no, can move good. on to this next segment of uh, rumors, what rumors are happening in the industry, movie rumors, things along that line. Um, I texted you. Let me bring up what my, my rumor was here. I love the fact that, that we're going to use I completely this text forget today. what this is. Oh, um, nope, that is not the text. It's the Batman Ah, here we website. go. Here we go. Okay, so last week we saw The Batman, which if you haven't listened to that podcast review, go listen to it. Uh, but before you do, make sure you go see the Batman in theaters on the biggest screen that you could possibly can with the best Absolutely. sound. Absolutely, it I, is, it is, it is unreal. It is so. It's we think it's so good. Other people may not, but we really think it is. Um, so here are some rumors uh, according to the Batman. We're not going to uh, spoil uh, anything about the movie, as far as I know. I don't think this, these are any spoilers. Uh, there are apparently three rumors uh, that are somewhat confirmed from. Matt Reeves, but uh, three Batman spinoff series coming to HBO Max. 
Gotham PD, which is like a crime drama about police corruption in Gotham. Very, very interesting and sounding. I, it, it, um, I'm pretty sure Jeff Wright is Jeffrey Wright's going to be in it as mm-hmm. a, and it's it's a prequel. Is it a prequel? It takes place okay. before. Okay. Uh, that's my oh, understanding. Okay. Uh, the second one is Penguin and his rise to power in Gotham's underworld, which I have to say must be a sequel. Right. I would think. And I'm not going to say why, but must be a sequel. Um, And then the third is Arkham Asylum. And this was actually most recently teased by Reeves as he's saying that this series would directly connect to Arkham Asylum that we see in the movie. There was another rumor that Gotham PD has actually turned into Arkham Asylum and that the two have merged together. So there may only be two series. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but those are the rumors. I think seeing just a uh, seeing what I think DC is like the DCEU. I hate you know <laughs> you know I I just don't get on, I just can't get on with the DCEU. Um, I loved what the MCU has done. The DCEU just keeps crap in the bed for me. They just <laughs> don't do it right. Um, so seeing this the this Batman film in a completely separate universe not having anything to do with anything else in the DCEU. New Batman, gritty tones. Like, you can't bring Superman into this this world. Like, it just doesn't right. work. Mm-hmm. You can't bring... I feel like you can't even bring, like, Flash or Wonder Woman into this world. Like, everybody just feels a little bit too... Batman is so cynical and so dark that the other th- bunch of heroes just don't... It just doesn't feel like they'd fit in this world. And maybe they would, and you just have to do it right. But, but to extend the universe by just, just to extend the universe to extend the universe for other characters to fit in, it just doesn't make sense to do right. that because they already have the DCEU. They don't need to do that. So my wondering is like, what is the is their thought to make this Gotham universe, this Gotham, this Batman verse that just exists in this version of Gotham, where. There, I mean, there's a million stories you can tell in mm-hmm. Gotham, like a million stories. Right. You can, I mean, all of Batman, you can go uh, Batgirl, you can go Catwoman, you can go freaking Batman Beyond, which is, I've been saying, I wanted that, I want that live action show. I've wanted that for years. Um, you can, I mean, we've already seen the success of Joker, mm-hmm. right? Telling a, a, a villain as your protagonist. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you can do a movie just on Poison Ivy, right? Like you could do a... There's so on, many characters. There's so many characters mm-hmm. in this thing, right? We've seen success with Harley Quinn uh, outside of the DCEU as well. And was she in the DCEU as well? Is she's she fully in, in the DCEU. But so we're saying Suicide Squad is in the DCEU as well. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. It's so interesting. It, it is. Does that come up in Peacemaker? Yes. Okay. Peacemaker links that in very oh firmly. God, so and weird. redeems it doesn't make it any all. sense. It, I have to tell you, Peacemaker redeems so much of the DCEU. Really? But no. Does it redeem Aquaman? Uh maybe. What? But it doesn't redeem it, but it makes me like happy <laughs> Aquaman's in the universe. I mean Peacemaker. No, no, no. Rocks Does it make it you completely. happy that Aquaman's in the universe or that Jason Momoa is playing Aquaman? That Aquaman's in that universe. Okay. There's stuff that works for that, okay. and that mean, uh, yeah, you have to watch the whole series. But I, and I'm not going to oh, spoil no. anything. But there's good stuff. That, but you're you're right. I think the Gotham verse that could exist is the way that, in many ways, the detective comic mm-hmm. surrounding structure. There's a series called Legends of the Dark Knight. Yeah, like the Batman. So when you think about DC, one of the things they did is they'd have multiple titles around a single character. Right. 
you can that's what they could do here right and that means you don't your sequels become films riding on the backbone of these other movies which is why mm -hmm. peacemaker is so effective because it is now like a backbone to bridge us to wherever else hmm. those characters are going to go that i mean the next suicide squad has me hands down connected because there are people i've met in peacemaker who i know are going to be there and i can't wait to see right. them again okay right right and that's something that could happen with this gotham stuff i think okay. you're right yeah i i just think that it's the right move to just let's just do a gotham series let's just keep everything in gotham let's not go outside of gotham not going to Metropolis. We're not going to any real world stuff. It's just all in Gotham. I think it's the way to do it. You can you can keep everybody as connected as you want, or you can keep them completely separate because Gotham is a big place. Yep. And stuff happens that other people aren't connected in. And you can tell individual right? stories, right? You can bring in Robin. You can bring in Nightwing. Yep. You can bring in what the heck? You can do a live action killing joke if you wanted to. You well, can do a lot under the Red Hood. Like you, there's a so many freaking stories. So the the city where Catwoman's going. Mm -hmm. Is the is um, Nightwing City? Yeah, where he like so. There's like you could you don't necessarily need to stay in, in that Gotham, city, Gotham, right, right, but right. the Gotham. It's about tone, like it's the about Gotham the County of, right. and the tone of that county. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. And you have a really strong core right now, and so take it and run with it. Yeah, right? um, in in the way Marvel's figured out how to do these series that then they're not always as effective as it could be but those series become the backbone of where mm -hmm. the movies can go yeah. so you have all this developmental time right they could do the same thing i think it would be great yeah i i think it would be awesome especially if you have someone like reeves who is kind of overseeing mm -hmm. all of these things but then you're able to hand it off to other directors talented directors who are able to bring those vision that vision to life yeah and uh, yeah. and go for it like that mm -hmm. that i mean again that's really what makes peacemaker function so well is it's a completely a director completely committed to a project yeah. that's growing out of something else and then surprising us like continually bringing surprises and that's what could happen in yeah. a penguin story and certainly in that sort of Gotham Knights whatever the Gotham well, PD yeah. kind and, of story and not saying that this hasn't happened but the the filmmakers who are making these shows now are kids who grew up on these things right you're I, I don't know how old Matt Reeves is but I would bet you money that he loved watching the Batman animated series growing up or when he was, you know, in his early or late teens. I don't know how old he is, but I'm guessing he's in his thirties, maybe forties. But yeah, someone who's almost 30, I loved the animated series. It was like a year, a couple of years before my time to, to watch them. I watched them as reruns, but you know, growing up watching these things or, you know, he probably grew up with the, with the the Joel Schumacher Batman films, or uh, how Reeves my age. Um, is he really? But that means that's what he grew up with, right? Like to be clear, the, right. the formative times are watching. He, and, his, his, and I would bet you money that he also read those same comics. That I would did, say right? he's ran through that whole world of yeah. comic because that's what connects to me. Mm -hmm. But again, not out of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like when I'm watching the Batman, I'm feeling nostalgic at all. Right, right, right. I'm watching well-made storytelling that yeah, lives yeah. in a world that was well-made storytelling yeah. in the 1980s. Yeah. Right? No, totally. And and there may be throwbacks to like visual moments that made like the comics what the comics mm -hmm. are, right? There's certain panels that you probably could even remember to this day that may stand out in your head. There's moments from again like the Batman animated series that still like they don't necessarily stand out in my head, but there's like just there's colors and frames and compositions 
that I can just clearly remember, but it doesn't give me nostalgia for it. It's just the language of the Batman now, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just the language of how Batman exists. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I think that, I think that going and sticking with Gotham and Gotham County and all of that is the way to do it. I I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. And I hope that that continues. Yeah. One of the biggest issues we have with all of this is it's just about time, right? Yeah. So like I've heard that there might be a Nova film, right? Mm -hmm. A, A Marvel character who I loved, right? But I may not see that for three years. Like the, yeah. the time frame, it's so long. I remember when they announced Moon Knight, and it felt like forever ago. <laughs> yeah. And I've been waiting, and I'm so excited um, that one of you know we have an issue with the fact that now there's this long turnaround time. And so I hope that they can, you know, move the the thing that works with Peacemaker is it lands months after the Suicide Squad. Right. And as a result, that iron is still hot and we stay connected. Yeah. I don't want us to lose engagement. Right. Because we've there's too much distance from the original film. Yeah. And we know that Wright has uh in all likelihood a third season of Westworld that he's working on. You oh, know, goodness. uh so there you just want them to be I mean, able Wright's to do the, the right work. I mean this isn't the first he's time we've amazing, talked about Wright in this podcast. And an amazing so. dude, like what yeah. an amazing guy in like as a human mm. in addition. Um yeah, good. So cool. Yeah. Um I, I want to just say that I'm really excited to see the boys season three. Yeah, um, I haven't watched any of that. So it's been pretty good. I've I, only heard good things about it. I like so. the boys a lot. I, I like it because it's an anti-superhero film yeah. or series, and yeah. it comes from a really solid comic book. It is relentlessly feels like an R-rated film, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, it's emotionally pretty powerful, but the villains are destructive in a way that we're not used to in our comic world. Yeah, the the threat of death is so high, and that actually plays really well the the villainy or the bad guys in this next series are exciting and we are continuing stories with characters we care about so there's i mean it it potentially could be great there's if you watch the trailer you will see how dangerous the villainy can be and uh it's sort of like people on screen pop like balloons right and that that kind of death feels so risky that the stakes get really high yeah. in, a, in a story that's full of humor and quirky sort of satire right. to have the stakes high really matters. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I mean the, the opening couple of episodes of the first season, you realize that we're talking about what's wrong with the superhero concept and they don't pull back at all. And, right. and that is what makes it work. So I'm excited to see that uh come out i mean i think it's you know it and moon knight feel to me like the big events in the spring so yeah that's great uh only thing that i can think of that i'm excited for that i haven't mentioned in a previous podcast episode is the obi-wan kenobi show um in uh may may 25th that that drops uh they just released a trailer oh my mic just cut out for a second there we go yeah they just released they just released a trailer for it following some hollywood reporter images i saw those images first i could have I really thought that they weren't going to drop a trailer for this this series at all, and they were just going to release some images and just give it to us cold. And mm-hmm. you, they knew people were going to watch it. Uh, anyway, they they dropped the trailer same day, and it is it is completely nostalgic for my generation right. who grew up on. I mean, I grew up on the original trilogy, but then I also grew up on the prequels. Um, 
but it is completely nostalgic because when I think of Obi Wan, I I almost don't even picture Alec Guinness. I picture Ewan McGregor. Right, right. Uh, which is maybe a weird thing, but no, it. I mean, it's all about when you. Watch it's all about it. when you watched it, right? So I mean, Ewan McGregor was Obi Wan for longer than Alec Guinness was in a right. sense, right? There was more screen time, so that's who I picture. But uh, I'm very excited for him to come back. It is completely nostalgic, but it also feels completely like what they're doing with all the other stuff. Like Mandalorian is a completely new kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, Boba Fett was nostalgic more than anything else, um, even though the show's not that great. Um, but I'm excited for what they're going to do and in the Kenobi show and how they're going to fill these, I don't know, these years where you're wondering what the heck he's doing on Tatooine for, oh, he must have been there for 20 years or something. Poor right. guy on the in the desert for 20 years by himself. So, uh, But we get some good stuff. There's a lot of... Uh, Bridging to the the series Rebels, you're seeing Inquisitors come in. You're seeing um, just a bunch of stuff happening. It's yeah, it's exciting. Wild. It's a, yeah. it is a good time to be a Star Wars. fan. It is a very good time to be a Star yeah. Wars fan. That's for sure. Yeah, I think that's um, really true. It's good time to be a comic book fan. Good time to be a Star Wars mm-hmm. fan. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. So I'm excited for that. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But I'm excited to I'm excited to review and watch Moon Knight uh, with Can, you. Having I have wait. no idea what Moon Knight. So excited. There like was a scene in the new in trailer. Movie. Where a character called Mr. Knight is present, cool. and I, you lose your mind. I can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to see how they do it. Yeah, it's such a complex and interesting story. I I'm so hopeful that it's strong enough to get multiple seasons because it needs mm. multiple seasons in order to make sense of the Does complexity okay. of the character. Yeah. Character yeah. so complex, and there are some potential significant connections to larger MCU things, mm-hmm. which is weird with what amounts to a really ground level hero. Yeah, but because of his superpower connection, oh, they are definitely there's building something some else kind is of going on. Level team of some sort. Uh, I think we're going to see some interesting stuff. There's also a lot of conversation about how we're going to see Daredevil appear, uh-huh. and he may have a series now. Wow. But there, I heard, did hear a rumor about a yeah, fourth Daredevil series. But there, but now it's talking about maybe the old one is another multiverse, mm. and that will reboot marginally okay, so wait so just clarify you're saying that there's a rumor that the netflix three seasons is a different is universe a, is a different universe so we can so that, that would make the most sense for them to do that it would work so well because if you do that then you can maintain all the character development you got from that mm-hmm. but you don't need to have them have the same well, you don't need Kingpin to be so restrained power-wise. Mm-hmm. Like you, a lot of what those uh-huh. series did is they kept they pulled back all of the superpowers, right? Like Luke Cage is bulletproof, right, for all practical purposes, but they pull back the superpowers. S- certainly, Jessica Jones' powers like really yeah. limited. Yeah. And th- now you come at the MCU, and that can't be the case, right? Because no. MCU is well, all about I mean- power. Kingpin and Hawkeye gets like obliterated and then for him to survive whatever happened to him at the end I mean he needs to be like indestructible sort of right guy, right like, and, and and if that's going to be the case he can't be the same Kingpin no but we can use the same character development we can let that right. story be in a multiverse that's a smart well, in the, move in the same way that the stuff that happens in Spider-Man No Way Home those other characters that appear you know their character development from other movies and you're you're in you're in yep. with it right and so Whatever character the development that continues through this uh, this story, even though it's outside of their universe, is still a payoff. Right, right. That's right. There's so much conversation 
amongst fans about Garfield getting another film. It's just, I don't think yeah. it'll ever happen, but boy, yeah. they are hammering away at that. Yeah, he. I would almost feel like he's more. they're more likely to show up again. I I would think we're going to see him yeah. cross over. Maybe not both of them, but him for sure. He really stole that it, film. It really feels, it really feels like, um, it really feels like they're going to have to bring him back with uh, uh, a spider Gwen and a Miles Morales with Tom Holland at some yeah. point, yep, yep, right? Yep. Like they've seen that it works. They've seen that uh, multiple Spider-Men together work. Uh, if something's if something's not broke, don't fix it, right. sort of thing. So why not bring another group of Spider-Men together? Uh, the, and I would actually still be okay. I would be okay with a, a Spider Noir as with Nick Cage as uh, Spider-Man. I would be okay, not for a long time, for like a scene. Like I don't need a lot of him, but it would be cool to see. Yeah, I'm excited to see that new Nick Cage film too. Oh yes, uh, I do forget about that. Yeah, that's uh, um. Nick Cage and uh, Pedro Pascal. Yeah, right? that looks yeah. really interesting. I hope it's as, as good as it it's feels. Full on cage rage for sure um, is going to happen. I love um, the fact that's completely like self referential. It yeah. Cage is one of the few actors who can actually pull that off, though. Yeah. So so anyway, all right. So there's our there's our <laughs> looks to the future in a wambling kind of way in a strange. Uh, why don't we say this is our French Dispatch podcast? Yeah, that really does feel like <laughs> <laughs> completely disjointed. Just in completely every way. disjointed, a pile of individual stories bound together. <laughs> we'll uh, tag that in the oh, Insta stuff. Um, but we'll be back watching movies, and we have Moon Knight coming up in just a couple weeks. Yep. So hang tight. Yep. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Please check us out online on uh, rackandfocuspodcast.com. You can find all of our social channels there. And uh, connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's Yeah, it. I mean, and follow us on Letterboxd because then you know what we're watching and you can go watch that stuff too. There's, I mean, we're, we love the idea of a large-scale cinematic community mm -hmm. and you can do that. I mean, if you want to know what Polytechnique looks like, there's yeah. pictures on the Instagram right yeah. now. You can go check them out. And uh, you posted some gorgeous shots from the Batman, too. Oh, my goodness. The cinematography is so pretty. Uh, we could talk about this all night again. We could do another hour and a half podcast episode of the Batman. Yeah, if, right sure. now, after not seeing it for two weeks. Right. Really could. So. Uh, yeah, so please follow us wherever we exist online. Uh, and please write us a review on iTunes mm, or right. Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever the heck you listen to us. It helps us in the algorithm, helps bump us up. Share this with a friend too um, so that uh, more people can listen. Uh, really, we, we're not looking for a ton of listeners. We just want to connect with you people who are listening. And uh, if you think that this is going to benefit somebody else or somebody else might find enjoyment from our conversation, uh, definitely share it with them too. So um, yeah, if there is something that you want us to watch or review or talk about, whatever it is, send us a DM on Instagram at Rack and Folks Podcast and uh, we'll consider that. And uh, yeah. Anything else to add, John? No, that's it. I'm really glad that uh, we got this time to do these films because yeah. I've been wanting to talk about some of them for a while and we'll be back when we're watching something new. Great. Thanks for listening to the Racking Focus Podcast.